0: So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. And you know what? I thought I was good with
1: God because of all the things that I was doing, that as long as I did more good than bad, it was going to outweigh, and and that made me okay with God. But down inside, as I grew, there was a gnawing going on in in my spirit, going on in me that said, it isn't enough. What you're doing is not enough. What you're doing, all the good works, they're great. They're not enough. They're not going to save you. That gnawing, that convicting that was taking place, that was leading me to the truth of who Jesus is, why he came and died, because one day I opened my Bible and people began to share the Bible with me, began to share Christ with me, began to share the story of redemption with me, and I began to clearly understand that if I could do enough to be saved, then Jesus never would have had to come. Why would I need a Redeemer? But I began to see in the Scriptures that I needed a Redeemer, that I could not redeem myself. Now, here's my point. Where did that come from? Where did that understanding begin? What started the gnawing in my spirit that caused me to realize it's not enough? It was the with relationship of the Spirit who was with me. He's with you. If you're in faith in Christ today, you're in Christ today because somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit began to convict you of sin, began to make you realize who you were in light of who God is, made you aware that He existed even, got you to take that look. And even after salvation, the Spirit continues to be with us as He leads us, and He continues to convict us of sin. Ouch, that day-to-day kind of sinful stuff that we can still find ourselves in our flesh walking in at times. Ooh, man, He convicts us of that, and He keeps us focused on our relationship with Jesus, you see. So He's with us. We have that first relationship. And then when you accepted the truth uh, that, that the Spirit was revealing to you, placing your faith in Christ, the Spirit then in that moment took up residence in you. In that moment of time when you knelt, stood wherever you were and you recognized who Jesus was and why you needed him, and you cried out, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I place my faith in you. I believe you to be true. I believe what you've done for me is sufficient. In that moment of time, Jesus breathed his Spirit into your life, just like he breathed him into the lives of his disciples. And he began a process of work inside of you that Scripture refers to as regeneration and renewal. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, describes this work of the Spirit in us. And Paul, or Titus, in in Titus it tells us in chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, suffering, or serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, it isn't a matter of scales, right? Which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Through the washing, now listen, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, Scripture is clear. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit in you. He's dwelling in you, and he's changing you from the inside out. He's renewing your heart, he's renewing your mind, and he's transforming you into the very image of your Savior and Lord in whom you've placed your faith. And as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and Ephesians 4:30, he's dwelling in you as the proof of your salvation, serving as God's seal upon your life, authenticating the fact that you now belong to God. In fact, apart from the Spirit, being in you, Scripture says that you're not really saved. <laughs> Paul says in Romans chapter eight and verse 9. Romans eight verse nine, but you are not in you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his boom. That puts to sleep the notion that there comes salvation, not really until we have the spirit in some second or experience after we place faith in Christ. no. It happens the moment we put our faith in Christ, and you have the Spirit in you from that very moment you placed your faith in Christ. All of His Spirit has been given to you in that moment, the fullness of His Spirit. You're filled from top to bottom with the Spirit in that moment. And yet Scripture also is clear. That there is a third relationship that the Holy Spirit wants to have with us if we're going to live and serve in the fullness by which God intends for us to serve and live, just as Jesus demonstrated for us here in baptism, just as the Spirit was with Jesus and in Jesus, Jesus also submitted to the Spirit being poured out upon him. And that's what's happening here in our text. First, he submitted to baptism with water, but then he submitted to the baptism of the Spirit. Why? Because he was now being anointed and empowered for ministry. And as we're going to see shortly, the very next thing is that Jesus will be led front by the Spirit from this moment on. And that, my friends, is the primary purpose of this third relationship that the Spirit desires to have with us. It's about being anointed. It's about being empowered for ministry and service. It's God's enablement for the work that he's called you and me to do as his servants and to empower us to live in such a dynamic way that our very lives testify of his power that's resident in us. Now, think about it. Isn't that what happened with the disciples? Although they had the Spirit with them and living in them prior to Pentecost, they were still unprepared for the ministry that Jesus had for them. They were living with an inward focus, even holding up out of public view in an upper room. But God wanted to turn their focus outward to, 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 to move upon them in such a way that now they could begin moving forward. And at Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon them, they exploded spiritually. They suddenly and powerfully emerged out of hiding, and they hit the streets like that, whatever it was that hit my backyard a couple of weeks ago, and blew those trees over. (laughs) Just exploded in a matter of minutes. And that's what it's like instantaneously. They became powerfully bold witnesses for Jesus. And in fact, out of this explosive empowerment, the church was born. You see, this upon relationship that the Spirit wants to have with us is a baptism that ultimately has to do with the externally manifesting the powerful things that have happened to us within. It's about anointing and empowering us for the Christian life and service, and it's an anointing and an empowerment we need in our lives. We desperately need. and I know that some Christians are uncomfortable with the terminology they don't like the term baptism in the Spirit in large part because of the unscriptural nature of things that they've seen associated with that term in Christianity today, the spiritually crazy kind of stuff that gets attributed to it. So listen, I'm just going to say this, call it what you want. Call it the outpouring of the Spirit. Call it the overflowing of the Spirit. Call it the fullness of the Spirit. Calling the filling of the Spirit. Call it what you like, but call on God for it, because it is absolutely scriptural, and you need it if you're a believer. And as far as the argument of whether or not this is a second experience or not, I, I would suggest to you that Scripture is not definitive on this issue, and, and so we don't need to be dogmatic about it. Granted, there is evidence in the Scriptures that point to this relationship being the result of a second experience, something that occurs after salvation, and yet there are also cases where it seems to coincide with salvation. Folks, sequence is not the issue. Sequence is not the issue yieldedness to it is the issue for some people they're they're yielded so fully at the moment of salvation that it all happens at the same time for others it happens as they grow in the relationship with jesus and they begin to want more of what he has for them yielding more and more of their life to him you know in acts chapter 8 verses 14 through 17 we're given an account of Peter and John coming down to Samaria and meeting a group of believers who who be, it became clear to them that even though they'd been baptized, that they had not experienced the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what it tells us, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, clearly, this is not John's baptism, which would have meant this was before salvation. This was clearly a baptism in Jesus, which meant that they knew they were saved. They knew Jesus. But then it says in verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It was all about, you know, what, what what was it about these folks that Peter and John saw that revealed to them that, that something was missing, that this dynamic with the Spirit didn't yet exist? Well, I don't know. We don't know because the passage doesn't tell us, but something was clearly missing in their spiritual lives, and Peter and John saw it, and they knew right away what it was. And as believers, they knew that the Spirit was with these believers and that He was in these believers, but that the Spirit had not yet come upon them. And so they laid their hands on them and they prayed for this important relationship to be formed in their lives. Now, look, I am convinced that this same dynamic is missing in the lives of many Christians today. They know the presence of the Spirit with them. They, They know the presence of the Spirit in them but they have never experienced his presence coming upon them and overflowing them with power for their lives in service to Christ. Many are living their relationship with Christ with half-hearted and complacent commitment. They lack the joy and excitement that comes with a spirit-filled walk with Jesus Christ. They lack the motivation and desire and empowerment for ministry and service. They spend more time living spiritually defeated lives than than enjoying spiritually victorious lives. They have the Spirit with them. They have the Spirit in them. But they just don't have the Spirit overflowing them. Maybe you're sitting there with some conviction this morning because maybe this is describing you. But it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to because the Holy Spirit is availing himself to you in all three of these important relationships. As a believer, you can know with certainty that the Spirit is both with you and in you, but he also wants to come upon you. And he will if you'll receive this relationship with him. And it's not a relationship that's complicated or hard to obtain. There's no special formula to, 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 to receive it. You know, I, I grew up in circles of Christianity where, where you were told that you had to wait. You had to wait. You had to go to the altar and you had to wait a couple of hours. You had to wait. You had to wait a set period of time. You had to wait. You had to show some sincerity. You had to do certain things. You had to do all... No, no, listen. In fact, Scripture tells us that God is willing to give us this relationship with His Spirit if we'll simply ask Him by faith for it, just like we ask by faith for Christ to to save us. It's the same idea as Jesus so plainly tells us in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. Through verse 13, Luke 11, verse 9, he says this, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, most of us take that verse and we stop right there and we apply it to our prayer life. We apply it to all sorts of things. I'm out of a job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. Well, you know what? Take the ask formula. Ask, seek, and knock. A-S-K. And God will answer. But we stop there and, and we lose the context because Jesus continues on after telling them to do these things. He says in verse 11, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? I sure hope not. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, now listen, if you then evil being no, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Just ask with believing faith. That's what he says. That's how this relationship is formed. Ask with believing faith, and God promises to baptize, to pour out, to come upon, to overflow you with his Spirit. And then, like Jesus and like all the disciples, the Spirit will lead you into this dynamic and Spirit-empowered way of life and service for Christ, for God. And one more important thing to note. The Scriptures don't make this a once-and-done event but we're told that it's something that we're to seek from the Lord daily, even moment by moment. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.18, Ephesians 5.18, one of my favorite verses, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, you might not see what's contained there, But if you were to pull that apart in the original language, the literal rendering of Paul's statement here in this verse is, keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit. Look, there may be an initial moment where you enter into this relationship with the Holy Spirit, where He comes upon you, but the idea is that once He does that, you'd be seeking that relationship continually. Keeping on keeping on being filled. Every Every day, every day of the year, every moment, every second, you'd be crying out, Lord, overflow me with your Spirit. Overflow me with your Spirit, Lord, that I may be empowered to live for you, to walk for you, to serve you, Lord Jesus. So why wait any longer if you've not done that? <laughs> why would you wait? Now, maybe some of you are hesitating because you've heard all kinds of things about weird manifestations that will begin to happen to you if you yield to this relationship with the Spirit, some even being required. Some will tell you to validate that this relationship has been formed. Maybe someone told you that you'll begin speaking in tongues or evidence some other miraculous supernatural gift. Well, let me just say this. Although I do believe, and let me say this clearly, although I do believe that these gifts which are listed in Scripture are still for today, since there are no Scriptures that negate these things, there are no Scriptures, trust me. Look at your Bible. You'll find there are no Scriptures that negate these things being for today, yet nowhere in Scripture are we told that the Spirit will force these spiritual manifestations upon you. And when I'm talking about spiritual manifestations, I'm talking about manifestations that the Scriptures clearly speak of, not manifestations that people claim that are extra biblical. I'm not talking about barking like dogs or roaring like lions or doing some bizarre things. I'm talking about the things that the Bible clearly describes in the book of Corinthians and in Romans. Nowhere in Scripture are we told that the Spirit will force any of these spiritual manifestations upon you. In fact, Scripture even mentions with one of these manifestations, prophecy, that here's what it says in First Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 32 and verse 33. He's talking about prophecy, but it applies to all. He says this, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. What Paul is saying in this verse is that although prophecy is a supernatural gift that the Holy Spirit produces, the Spirit never overrides the will of any human being. The Holy Spirit is gentle and gracious and orderly, and he will not force anything upon you against your own will and desire. He isn't going to possess you, but he's going to empower you, and there is a clear difference between those two things. So you should have no worries in this regard. And maybe you've also heard some teach that you must evidence one specific gift in particular, tongues, as proof that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, in addition to challenging that based on passages where the Spirit was imparted where it didn't happen, I'll simply tell you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. You see, although there are spiritual gifts, The Spirit gives them as He wills. In other words, He distributes them as best fits the needs in your life and in the life of the body of Christ. And that precludes any one gift being manifested in every person who the Spirit has come upon. In fact, when it comes to the issue of tongues, even Paul says very clearly, do all speak in tongues? Elsewhere in Corinthians, do all speak in tongues? It's a rhetorical question. The answer to the question is obviously no. So we don't need to fear that this is going to happen or that it won't. I'm just looking at you and say, look, be open to what the spiritual gifts are, but the Spirit will not force them on you. And because you don't manifest, manifest a particular gift does not mean that this relationship with the Spirit has not been formed. Remember, that relationship is formed by simple faith and asking. Yet the Bible does teach that there is one evidence and this is an evidence one supernatural manifestation that will be evident in the life of a person whom the spirit has come upon 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31 beginning there through verse 3 of chapter 13 1 Corinthians 12:31 Paul writes but earnestly desire the best gifts there's nothing wrong with desiring the supernatural gifts of the spirit and yet i show you a more excellent way though i speak with the tongue of tongues of men and angels but have not love that will be produced in the life of a believer who enters into this relationship, this fullness of God's Spirit working in them, and that one manifestation is love. It's not all the other stuff, it's love. Though Paul says the other things are fine to seek and to be open to, ultimately this is the one thing that characterizes the Spirit-filled believer. See, every Spirit-empowered disciple will manifest this one gift, and it is a gift that supersedes all of the other spiritual gifts that the Spirit can impart. So here's the question I'm going to leave you with this morning. Do you have this gift operating in your life in the full way that God intends? Do you have the gift of love operating in your life to the full extent that God says it should? If not, then the solution is simple. It's to yield to the same empowerment that Jesus yielded himself to as his baptism, demonstrating that for us, and and ask God to come upon you and overflow you with his Spirit so that he can not only empower you for the work that he has for you as a believer, but so that he can manifest in you the greatest gift his Spirit can bestow on any one person, the greatest gift needed in the church and, quite frankly, needed in our world today. Supernatural, Spirit-generated, Spirit-empowered, love, love. So Jesus has told us about Spirit baptism, about this relationship, And Jesus has shown us through his own baptism to each of us what we're to submit to by himself submitting to this same thing. So why would we hesitate to submit to it either? If you've not yielded yourself to that coming upon that high experience with the Holy Spirit, why wait? You don't know what you're missing an awesome release of God's power in your life for the work of ministry. The great men and women of God have given themselves to this. I was just reading in my uh, devotional, I've been working my way through a, a book written by Andrew Murray, the great prayer warrior, and he spends half this book talking about the need in the life of a true disciple of Christ for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you follow A.W. Tozer's writing, you know that Tozer believed this and submitted to it. Why would we not? If God is offering us, our good Father offers us this blessed gift so that we can not only live for him, but like the disciples, we can come out of hiding and boldly be witnesses doing and saying things that, that you and I, by our own, our own abilities, could never do. You know, I'm just going to tell you, when I step into this pulpit, I guarantee you I'm crying out long before I ever step into here, Lord, baptize me anew with your Holy Spirit today. Overflow me with your Spirit so that what will come out of my mouth and be said will be things that will impact the lives of people. Because I know my words will go out and fall off. But God's words going out, Spirit-empowered, will pierce your hearts. We all need this. Let's yield to this.